Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Hello there. I'm delighted to see you've returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. And today on the show, we've got something quite unique and quite special as an offering to show you. If you'll take a look over here, I've taken the liberty of uh, laying this out on the glass countertop over here so you can have a, a good look at it. Now, if you look closely, it looks like a, a regular board game board. It's sectioned off into a grid probably circa the late 70s maybe even into the early to mid 80s this is a board that you wouldn't play any normal board game this board would be covered with small painted miniatures of warriors and elves and monsters of all manner this is a board that may be used to play a campaign of dungeons and dragons the top of this board would be Perfect for laying out the lush landscape of a fantasy world. But if we flip this board over, we'll see a world of another kind. A darker world. A mysterious world. And yes, a very, very dangerous world. This world may be known to some as the Upside Down. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at Stranger Things Season 4, Part 1. Now, for those who have been living under a rock for the past several years, Stranger Things, of course, became the cultural phenomenon on Netflix back in 2016. Uh, the second season in 2017, they took a, a bit of a hiatus. 2019, we got season three. And then thanks to uh, COVID and kind of, I, I don't know whether it was delays in, in pre-production or what have you, but we've had to wait. I mean, I know COVID played a huge part in this coming out. Out, uh, so much later than season three but we finally got after so much waiting season four of the Duffer Brothers Stranger Things and I for one have been just chomping at the bit because this like I said cultural phenomenon when it first came out uh, everyone loved this show it seemed like season three not that I became less interested I think it was still interesting but I think the kids were getting older I think one of the, the charming things about uh, Stranger Things, of course, they've got the 80s nostalgia uh, running rampant in this series, but the kids were young in the first couple seasons. They took a year off and come back in season three. The kids are a little bit older, getting into their teenage years. Uh, you've got romances between this couple and that couple and... Uh, you know, it just seemed like we got away a little bit from the horror. Although the horror that we that we did get in season three was quite terrifying. That avatar of the mind flare with all the dead rat bodies was was disgusting and horrifying to say the least. But it, it was one of those things where are, are they going to start jumping the shark with this series and start doing uh, just more like teen romance? And I, I don't I don't give a shit about that. If I wanted to watch that, I'd watch one of the other. Uh, numerous Netflix series that they seem to have out right now. But I guess in, in my mind, the thought was, what are they going to do in season four? Because we're coming down to it. They've made no bones about it, the Duffer Brothers, that they're doing this series in, in five seasons. So we've got this season, we've got one more season after that, and they're going to be hopefully tying up the series with a nice pretty red bow. But what were they going to do in this to just put the pedal to the metal and drive us right off the cliff to that season five series finale. So I was quite interested to see what they were going to do to one, hold my attention, keep my attention, advance the story and take things up a notch, elevate the series that seemed to be getting better every season. The stakes kept getting bigger. The world kept getting bigger. And like I said, you know, well, I, I you know, kind of I didn't really care about the, the teen romance aspect of 
of season three. I get that's a part of 80s movies. So, and then and, and these characters are developing. And, and I, I get why they did that. But, you know, what, what are they going to do to make me want to keep watching this series? Especially after such a long hiatus. And boy, did I, th- I think the Duffer Brothers raised the bar. I was quite happy with what we've got of season four so far. Now, they're doing this different. They're releasing season four in two parts. We've got the first seven episodes of season four. That's part one. They were released this past Friday, May the 27th, and they're going to have part two coming up on July the 1st. Now, part two is only the final two episodes of the season. This is only a nine episode season. So it'll be interesting. And and this really was a long season time-wise because each episode was well over an hour long. A lot of episodes were about an hour and 20 minutes. The season finale was about an hour 40, hour 50. They dedicated a lot of time and a lot of real estate to tell this story. And that's why I think for my money, outside of maybe the first season, this has one of the, been one of the best seasons thus far because they've really given it the time and attention and the story that really kind of eats up all this time that they're allotting to it. And, it, you know, while it was seven episodes, almost 10 hours worth of content thus far, it really didn't feel that long. I mean, I breezed through those first seven episodes, watched the bulk of it on Saturday, uh, wrapped it up this this Sunday morning as I'm recording this on the, the 29th. It was balls to the walls the whole time. And kind of where we find the Stranger Things cast in this. And, and I'll kind of set up the scene where we're at in Hawkins and in other places. And I'll, I'll kind of set the scene and then we'll kind of talk about all the characters and kind of what they're doing because this does a very Lord of the Rings thing. Of course, the Fellowship of the Ring uh, started off, you know, it was the, the group of them. Then Sam and Frodo separate then Merry and Pippin go off on their adventure. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli go off on theirs. And then even Merry and Pippin go off on their own separate adventures, uh, separate from each other. You got all these different people in this big, bigger group going off on their own separate adventures. And then it all kind of culminates and ties back in to the, the main group uh, by the end of it. And I kind of think they're doing that sort of thing with this. Uh, so we start off, we've got Winona Ryder as Joyce Byers, uh, her and her two sons, Jonathan and Will, played by Charlie Heaton and Noah Schnapp, as well as uh, Eleven, played by Millie Bobby Brown. Uh, they're in California. You know, uh, Millie Bobby Brown's uh, Eleven not having an easy time getting acclimated uh, to a new school and new people. She's being bullied. Uh, Will just kind of you know, keeps quiet and and is with the status quo. I kind of feel bad for Noah Schnapp on this. The Will character really doesn't get a lot to do in this season. He just kind of feels along for the ride. Now, they're, they're setting up a big reveal, which I think they're going to make the the wheel character come out as gay he's just very awkward around mike played by finn wolfhard who comes out for spring break to visit 11 i mean essentially to visit all but all he wants to see is 11 but i i think they're going to do something where the will character comes out as gay and that he has feelings for the Mike character. I think that's kind of where they're going with it. I mean, they're really not pressing that hard because I think it's important. You know, this this is a horror story. This is a science fiction fantasy story. You got to make that first and foremost. Romances, that's kind of got to take a backseat. So, so I, I like the fact that they're not pushing that they're, they're letting it happen organically. If that's, if that's the route they're going, I think that's where they're going with this. Uh, there's a lot of groundwork being laid for this. I figured it was either he, Noah Schnapp's character, Will, is going to come out and he's going to have feelings for Mike, or they might flip the script and, and do a traditional love triangle where he has feelings for Eleven, but I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, it's still possible, but I think they're going to make the, the character having feelings for his best friend. I mean, that I think that's a more complicated story. I think that's a more uh, less traditional uh, telling 
uh, of you know what we usually get from these sort of kid coming of age stories. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from that. But I, like I said, I, I kind of feel bad for Noah Schnapp because he doesn't. Other than that, and like I said, they're not even really pushing that uh, storyline. Uh, maybe they're saving it for the end of the season and into season five. I don't know, but but other than that, he really doesn't have a lot going on. <laughs> He's just kind of tagging along for for the most part. But Joyce has a, a new job. She's kind of like a telemarketer selling uh, Encyclopedia Britannica books. Jonathan Byers is you know become a, a huge pothead with his uh, his new buddy Argyle, played by Eduardo Franco. And I got to tell you, there there are some real standout new characters in this and Eduardo Franco playing Argyle had to be one of them because he had a really tough job I think with this because he plays like the stereotypical 80s movie TV show stoner and sometimes he he really straddles that line sometimes he crosses it sometimes it's dialed back a little bit but that line of becoming a caricature and I think sometimes he definitely crosses that with the character. And, and, I, and I can't blame him so much as maybe it's in the writing. But, uh, but the character does cross that line in the caricature of a stereotypical stoner. But then there are other times where it's dialed back and he's reserved enough. And he has some really, really funny moments some real good comedic timing and has made this i was i wasn't sure about this character when it first started out i was like oh god okay here's the stoner and he's gonna do all the stoner things we're gonna check the boxes and it kind of started out that way but as the character the character doesn't get much development don't get me wrong no character development to speak of in this season but he gets to be along for the ride with this and we get to see his personality and that's been fun and like i said there are some moments of of comedy and one-liners that he does that really you know it's uh, stuff like that's important to break the tension uh, as long as you don't overdo it and i think sometimes they they teeter up to that line of overdoing it and then they dial it back and it's it's a fun character that like i said sometimes borders on caricature and overdone as the stereotypical stoner but then again i think that kind of plays into the 80s vibe of this whole thing because he is that archetype of the stoner that we got in almost every 80s movie at some point or another but like i said fun character eduardo franco does a great job playing this character and he and jonathan spend most of the at least the first three quarters of the of the season uh getting stoned out of their gourd you come back to Hawkins, uh, of course, Nancy, played by uh, Natalia Dyer, she is working for the school newspaper, doing her reporter thing. Stephen Robin, played by Joe Keery as Steve Harrington, and Maya Hawk as Robin Buckley, two Two of the I, I just love these two together and separately in this series. But uh, but they you know they're still working at the video store, both checking out chicks. And the scenes those two get together are, are fantastic because they got such a great chemistry. Uh, same with uh, Joe Curry and Gaten Matarazzo as Dustin. Those two have fantastic chemistry and fantastic comedic timing together. So they're really fun to watch. But we get uh, a little bit of, before he goes off to California for spring break, we get uh, a little bit with Mike and Dustin and Lucas. Mike and Dustin, they're in this new uh, club called the Hellfire Club, where they go play Dungeons and Dragons with a, a new group of guys. And Lucas has kind of put all that behind him. He doesn't want to be a nerd. He doesn't want to be bullied. He doesn't want to be picked on anymore. So he has joined the basketball team and he's hanging out with all the jocks and still kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of trying to walk that line of still being friends with, with Mike and Dustin. But he wants to make these new friends so he can get in with a cool crowd and hang out with them. And then he can kind of bring uh, Dustin and Mike into the fold. <laughs> and uh, Dustin and Mike don't want anything to do with that. They just want to go play uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And another one of the new characters that they brought in was just a... A fantastic addition. My wife, she didn't watch the whole season with me because she hasn't watched uh, season two and three yet. Uh, but she would sit down and kind of catch things. And and she even mentioned that uh, she really liked uh, Joe Quinn playing Eddie Munson. 
Eddie Munson's the senior. He's the guy with the long hair, and he's got the leather jacket with the with the denim vest over top of it, and he's got the patches all over it, and he's got the Hellfire Club T-shirt, and he's all about nonconformity, and he's all about playing Dungeons and Dragons, and he's kind of spearheading this campaign that they're doing. And he is kind of that long-haired uh, stoner guy that probably selling drugs. That you know, everyone had a guy like that in their their high school. <laughs> And, and he he plays this part very well because he uh, you know he has to go through through some things that we'll kind of talk about uh, a little bit later. But uh, he goes through, through some things, and he's another character that it can kind of come across as caricature from time to time. But he does it well enough. He plays this character well enough that every time it seems like it's going into caricature, and he's just reacting wildly just because that's what that character's kind of character is supposed to do. He dials it back and has some really uh, intimate moments and some, you know, some moments that are that are very character driven. And those are fun to watch. And he really did a good job of, of, like I said, walking that line between going too far into caricature and dialing it back and, and just being a real character, which was was quite fun to watch. And then the last character we're going to kind of talk about where she's at is Sadie Sink as uh, as Max Mayfield. Sadie Sink's a, uh, an actress that I really enjoyed uh, seeing her come into this group in season three. And she's a fine young actress. And then to see her do some other things like uh, she did the Fear Street uh, Part 2, 1978, which I was not a fan of the Fear Street trilogy. But if there was any standout, it was the 1978, the second movie in that trilogy of movies, was really good because it played like a a classic 80s slasher film. And I thought Sadie Sink was really good in that. She was one of the standouts in in that movie. So it, it was fun to see her do some things other than what I'd seen her in Stranger Things. And she she really is a fine young actress that I, I just, you know, she's one of those actresses that I'm excited to see uh, her grow as an actress and see what other projects she's going to do after Stranger Things is over and kind of in between and, and see what, what she's got on the table next. Because uh, like I said, she's a, she's a, I think she's a really good actress. She had a lot in this season. She had, I think, the people that really had, of course, Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven, you know, she's got a lot of acting to do because the Eleven character is complicated, uh, multifaceted. She's, she's got to play this innocence. She's got to play this fear. She's got to play anger. She's got to play the confusion of where she's come from and what she's done and, and reconciling all that into a future. Is she a monster? Is she a superhero? She really goes through a lot. But if we're talking about characters that have gone through uh, situations that have really allowed these actors to break out, you've got Sadie Sink as as Max. Uh, you know, her stepbrother died. Her stepfather left. It's just her and her alcoholic mother. You know, she's going through a lot with that. Uh, Lucas has kind of abandoned her because they were kind of had a budding relationship in season three. Uh, you know, he's gone off to hang out with the cool crowd and kind of left her. And there's a rift in that relationship. And so she just had a lot of emotional baggage that she had to play in this. And of course, she's seeing the school psychiatrist because, you know, she's trying to, you know, they're trying to get her to open up about her stepbrother being killed and, and what happened. And, and she's dealing with the like survivor's guilt or the mental anguish of not having saved him all she you know she goes through this this whole monologue about how she could have just pushed him out of the way and saved him and and then he would be back and they would be able to to have a real relationship and they might even have become friends it just she had a lot to do acting wise uh another character that i thought really had uh a bit more of a chance to show what he can do as an actor is kayla mclaughlin 
who plays Lucas, he did a really good job because, you know, we've had him do, uh, you know, the things where he gets all excited and upset or whatever. But uh, this really, I think this season, he got to do a little more acting. He got to do the pain of leaving his friends for these new people. Uh, the pain of seeing his friends, uh, new friends, ragging on his old friends. The pain of having this relationship between him and Max separated and all he wants to do is be there for her when he can see she's in pain and just he had uh he got a lot to do acting wise in this that that i don't think he really had the opportunity to do in some of the other seasons so that was really fun to watch him kind of really you know stretch his acting legs and, and give more of a an emotional performance and then, of course, like I said, one more character, I promise, uh, that we're going to talk about where he's at. It's Hopper, who who did end up surviving the, the explosion at the end of season three. And as we saw in all the trailers and all the, you know, first look clips, he is in Russia. He's a prisoner in Russia, and he's working with a character to escape. And I wasn't going to really get into some of the guest starring roles in this just yet, but I will kind of get into this one because this one was uh, probably one of my favorite uh, to see is uh, Tom Vlasia. He plays Dmitry Antonov. Uh, he plays a guard at this Russian prison who is trying to broker a deal with a smuggler and he's going to get Hopper to the smuggler and the smuggler is going to take him back to the United States. And of course, that all goes sideways. But Tom Vlasha, he just does a fantastic job in this. I love every time I see him show up in a movie or a TV show. Of course, you may remember him if you watched Game of Thrones. He played Jack and Hagar. He's a fantastic uh, German actor. Now, his his filmography in in Germany is much greater than his his you know English uh, U.S. works. Of course, like I said, Game of Thrones. Uh, he had a, a small part in that movie with Tom Cruise, Valkyrie. He's done a, a, a few things for British television. Most recently, he was in the Jack Ryan TV series. Uh, I was in a few episodes of that, but uh, but he shows up in Stranger Things as this Antonov uh, character. And just uh, he's the kind of guy, he's just got such a, a great look, uh, very expressive eyes. And uh, I, I really, one of those actors that I want to see him in more things. Uh, here in the states, because but because I, I just enjoy uh, his delivery. I enjoy the the bit of uh, smug sarcasm in his delivery that uh, makes his characters fun. Now, while we're on guest starring roles, there are a couple other uh, guest stars, a couple of returning characters. You know, we thought that this character may have died at the end of season one, and but there was a lot of speculation of them bringing him back, and and they did. Um, Matthew Modine comes back as Dr. Martin Brenner. He's the one that uh, was running the program that started 11 down her path. He's back kind of towards the end of the series. We get uh, a triumphant return for him. But we got a lot of flashbacks. Eleven had a lot of uh, flashbacks uh, of memories from her time at the Hawkins lab. And we had Matthew Modine in, in all of those as a younger version of himself. Uh, so he was in the whole season, but present day, he doesn't show up until close to the very end and kind of does a bit of a face turn. Uh, in season one, he was kind of portrayed more as the villain. In this, he's kind of playing the, uh, yeah, I, I made you do some bad things. I pushed you and was chasing you and trying to capture you and maybe weaponize you. Maybe not, but probably trying to weaponize you. But I'm here to help you now uh, get your powers back. And that's the main reason Dr. Brenner is brought back to help uh, Eleven get her powers back because she spends this whole season without her powers for the most part. Another character that they brought back is Sam Owens, played by Paul Reiser. Of course, he's the one that was running Hawkins Lab in season two and was helping with the whole Will scenario where he is kind of possessed by the Mind Flayer. And of course, he's got this very altruistic sense of Hawkins and all he wants to do is help them. And, and he sees that... Uh, there's 
some stuff going down as he said there's a war coming and that you know he wants to do what he can to help the people of Hawkins so he's kind of brought back in to the fold kind of later in the season uh, as a part of this team to help Eleven get her powers back to to fight this new creature that we've got because yeah this one we don't get much of the demogorgon as you saw in the previews for this and that kind of uh, sneak peek at the you know the first look at season four where we see uh and i think it was even the ps scene at the end of season three with the russian jail and they've got the guy sitting there in the the cell and they open the door and the demogorgon comes out we get a demogorgon in this um we don't get we get the mind flare mentioned a lot but we don't actually see the mind flare uh for all intents and purposes i i think it's supposed to be that the mind flare is is gone because 11 defeated it after in, in during season three i don't think the mind flare is gone i think it's in hiding it's licking its wounds uh but he has got a, a new minion and and i like the way the dustin character describes this the mind flare is the the ruler of the upside down the demogorgon is his foot soldier but this new character Vecna is his five-star general. And this Vecna character that they introduce, I, I was a little hesitant about it at first because I was like, you know, the Demogorgon comes out of nowhere to begin Stranger Things. Okay, I get that. But at the end of season one, we get the big shadowy giant image of the Mind Flare over top of Hawkins. And then in season two, we get the Mind Flare. And then in season three, we get kind of that, uh, the mind flare possessing Billy and that kind of dead rat in human fleshy, uh, version of the mind flare that, that comes to life, uh, in Hawkins. We, we get that. So, you know, each bad guy, you know, when we went from the Demogorgon to the mind flare, we get a teaser into that. Uh, this kind of came out of nowhere. This Vecna character came out of nowhere. And that really raised a lot of questions with me. How does this character tie into everything? What happened to the Mind Flayer? Is this guy replacing the Mind Flayer? Are they do are they jumping the shark? Are they just, you know, doing things just to to up the stakes without any real connective tissue? And then Gaten Matazaro has that great scene where he kind of like he says that. He essentially says that. You know, we haven't been asking the right questions. We haven't asked about uh, uh, why this character, this Vecna, is killing people, and and kind of goes into that that breakdown of of the mind flayers, the the king, the ruler, the the foot soldiers, the demogorgon, and Vecna is his his general. And I really liked that explanation of it because then, okay, now things are starting to have that connective tissue that it felt like it was missing at the beginning of this series and things started making a little more sense and then i then i was com completely on board with what was going on after that but this vecna character is a, a character unlike anything they've experienced in hawkins to date because he is in the upside down but he has reach he can he can reach into the real world and he latches on to kids that have some sort of trauma that is haunting them. The one girl, uh, Chrissy, is dealing with uh, eating disorders, uh, bulimia. She's got a scene where she's forcing herself to throw up in the bathroom. And that's when she first gets the, the hallucinations and Vecna talking into her head. There's another kid, Fred, who uh, apparently, I'm, I'm assuming, caused a vehicle accident and somebody died. And he's haunted by that. Max is eventually haunted because she's haunted by the trauma of what happened to Billy and the fact that she couldn't save him or didn't save him. And towards the end, we see Nancy uh, get attacked because she's still haunted by what happened to Barb all the way back in season one. So this Vecna character attacks people uh, who are hurting, 
who have some sort of ghosts, some sort of uh, skeletons in their closet, and some sort of pain. But he starts off kind of tormenting these characters, almost like Pennywise, kind of seasoning the meat with fear. And he's talking in their minds, giving them hallucinations of seeing uh, this clock, which we don't really get until we get some some explanation later in the season. But uh, they get these hallucinations. They start seeing things. They have in these episodes where in the real world they look like they're in a trance and they're you know having seizures where in their own mind they're in this world but things are are not happening the way they should be people they love uh, turn into Vecna and and scare the bejesus out of them and then eventually Vecna takes a hold of them like I said still in the upside down but he's got some sort of psychic power where people kind of float up into the air and then all of a sudden their body starts twisting like uh, like they're being wrung out like a wet rag and twisted and contorted and their eyes blow out and it's just it's some disgusting imagery and uh, probably some of the grossest stuff that we've seen on and, and most disturbing stuff that we've seen on Stranger Things. I mean, it's a Netflix show, so they're not really worried about upsetting uh, the network people. But it, And it's not like they've held back, but really they raised the bar on the horror and on the gore and on the disturbing nature of, of body horror in this season, which was was kind of fun to to see them do that and go into some really disgusting places. But we see this first victim, uh, Chrissy. Uh, she's come to the Eddie character's house to, to score some drugs, and all of a sudden she's taken over by Vecna, and she is killed. And, of course, it, it was really cool to see them do they paid a lot of homage to to horror in this because a lot of the for lack of a better term dream sequences where vecna has the the person he's attacking inside their own head going through really dreamlike scenarios felt very akin to a nightmare on elm street they felt very much you could have replaced vecna with freddy krueger and it would have been it would have been a nightmare on Elm Street. And some of the sound design uh, was very akin to Freddy scraping his claws on like a metal rail. It wasn't that, but it felt like in the spirit of that. So there was a, a great attention to detail in like paying homage to A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is kind of fun because we'll talk about why that's apropos here in a little bit. But Eddie sees Chrissy die, and of course, he is going to be blamed for this and goes on the run. And of course, the group, Dustin, Nancy, Steve, Robin, eventually Lucas, are all trying to help him figure out what happened because through various uh, discoveries, they realize that he's not crazy, that there is some uh, creature that is doing this from the upside down and of course they name him Vecna because he like all the other mind flayer uh, Demogorgon all bad guys in Dungeons and Dragons and there was a really cool scene uh Nancy is in the trailer park where this murder happened and she's talking to Eddie's uncle and they're talking about how this character Victor Creel Back in the 50s, murdered his family in a similar fashion. Their eyes, he, he says their eyes were popped out. And maybe this Victor Creel escaped from the asylum that he's been uh, a prisoner of for all these years. And he, he says something very interesting. Nancy's like, he escaped? And he's like, yeah, like that guy with the white mask uh, killed the babysitters. And she's like, Michael Myers. And it's all very nonchalant. And it's not like, oh, that, that guy from that movie or hey, that movie where the guy in the white mask killed the babysitters. It's kind of like that. They, they speak of it as if Michael Myers was a real person in this universe that killed babysitters in a white mask. So that was my thing is like the, the Dufford brothers just put Stranger Things in the same universe as at least Halloween 1. Uh, because that's what it sounded like. It wasn't like a reference to a movie or that thing I saw on TV. It was like, oh, that guy Michael Myers that uh, escaped from the asylum and he's he murdered those babysitters. Of course, Hawkins, Indiana, only one state over is Haddonfield, Illinois. I'm assuming that's what they meant. 
And if they did, that is badass because I like I like shit like that. You know, you had a lot of allusions to A Nightmare on Elm Street in this. You had that nice tie-in to uh, the Halloween franchise with that mention. They never really directly reference Friday the 13th, although they are at a lake and and they do some some running through the woods uh maybe a loose interpretation of a a reference to friday the 13th but uh, they did pay a lot of homage to to 80s horror movies and slasher flicks and and 80s horror in general i mean with the body horror you get hints and especially last season with the mind flare uh, avatar that was made up of all those rat body parts and people body parts or whatever was uh you know you get a lot of allusion to the thing uh john carpenter's the thing so that was really kind of cool if that if they did that on purpose my my hat's off to the duffer brothers because i i loved that but this is kind of where we're introduced to this character, Victor Creel, which Nancy and Robin, they kind of pose as grad students doing their thesis and they want to do it on Victor Creel and they go to talk to him. And I thought it was kind of cool because there's this scene where this guard is walking him down this like basement, solid, not even solitary confinement, but it, it looks exactly like the prison setup where Hannibal Lecter was in Silence of the Lambs. You get the, the stone or brick wall to the right. You get the cage doors to these prison cells on the left. The guards walking him down, kind of giving them the same set of rules that Clarice Played by Jodie Foster, got in Silence of the Lambs. You got to stay this far away. Don't pass anything through. Don't do this. It was very much a, I don't want to say a ripoff, a Silence of the Lambs, but it was a very accurate homage to Silence of the Lambs, which was kind of fun. And then we get the reveal, and, and everybody who has been paying attention kind of knows that Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger in A Nightmare on Elm Street, is playing Victor Creel. And Victor Creel gets this monologue where he tells the story about how back in the 50s, he came back from the war, got married, and you know him and his family move into this house. And all of a sudden, these weird things started happening. And his wife died the exact same way Chrissy and Fred uh, died. Uh, his kids were found dead. And he does this monologue, and he does this character. You know, Robert Englund, whenever you see him talking, uh, you know, everybody knows him as Freddy Krueger, where he's just very outspoken and snarky, and, you know, he's just very flamboyant in a way, cracking wise all the time. Uh, this really felt like Robert Englund was playing a, a, a character. He... he Felt, you know, this didn't feel like Robert Englund playing this role. This didn't feel like Freddy Krueger playing this role. This felt, you know, he just, he kind of had a, a delivery that sounded like a different character like than, than I've ever seen him play before. And I've seen Robert Englund a lot of things over the years. And just the delivery of this story, this monologue about his family and, and how his wife died and he found his two kids dead and he... He was so grief-stricken that he tried to cut his own eyes out. And it was just some really powerful stuff, some powerful acting from Robert Englund, who I don't think gets enough credit for being as good of an actor as he really is. But you've got the Mystery Inc. gang trying to to investigate the old Creel house for for some ideas as to, to what could have happened. You've got the townspeople all led by this like star jock who was, was Chrissy's boyfriend, uh, Jason. Uh, they've kind of, they kind of lean into the satanic panic of the eighties. I mean, that's what the kids today call it. Satanic panic. We didn't call it that back in the eighties. There was no name for it back in the eighties. It was just, everything was, it was like Waterboy's mom. Everything was of the devil, heavy metal music, the devil. Dungeons and Dragons, the devil. Wear a long hair and leather jacket, the devil. <laughs> Won't eat your peas, the devil. But yeah, I remember that back in the 80s growing up, you know, uh, how many news reports they would talk about Dungeons and Dragons gets people into Satanism and cultism and witchcraft and, and seances and human sacrifice and that sort of thing. It was all really ridiculous. But as a kid who I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, I never played it until I actually became an adult and have a group that plays every Tuesday night. Uh, but even then, I knew kids that played Dungeons and Dragons. 
Uh, we had one kid that um, my best friend was having like a sleepover, and we were going to watch scary movies and and go terrorize the neighborhood in the middle of the night. But he brought Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Uh, we never did play it because <laughs> I don't think any of us had the attention span unless it, unless there were pictures. Uh, we didn't know what was going on. But uh, but yeah, uh, I remember that. And of course, that TV movie with Tom Hanks, Mazes and Monsters, where he they're they're playing Dungeons and Dragons and they go to this cave and he gets lost and goes crazy and tries to stab somebody. Uh, uh, a horrible horrible movie but that kind of stuff led into that quote-unquote satanic panic uh, especially in regards to dungeons and dragons uh, back in the back in the early 80s but they really play into that which kind of goes into that 80s nostalgia and was very interesting to see them kind of tip their hat, hat to things like that that were going on at the time especially because dungeons and dragons plays such a huge role in this series like I said, all the bad guys, Demogorgon, Mindflayer, uh, Vecna, they're all named after D&D characters. And I think at one point they even, uh, somebody's talking about uh, what can happen to you if you play Dungeons and Dragons where you'll lose touch with reality. And it, just the way they were describing it, it felt like they were just reciting the plot to that Tom Hanks movie's Mazes and Monsters. So it was a, a nice little nod to that movie as well. And it all kind of comes to an end as as the gang's all trying to get back together. You've got Will and Mike and Jonathan and Argyle trying to make their way back to Hawkins. You've got Nancy, Steve, Robin, uh, Max, Lucas, and Dustin all in Hawkins trying to do their thing. You've got Eleven with Sam Owens and Dr. Brenner in a uh, secret facility in Nevada, trying to get her powers back. And and through this whole time, uh, we got a little taste of it in season three, where Eleven's having these flashbacks to where all the kids, when, when she was originally at the facility in Hawkins, uh, they were all murdered. They really played it up like it could have been her. Even through this whole season, you know, that's the one of the things that, that Eleven struggles with. Is she a superhero? Is she a monster? She's starting to think that maybe she's a monster. Uh, how can she fight monsters if she's the monster? And that she may be the one who killed all these kids with her psychic powers in this facility. And she has a lot of flashbacks trying to work through that. Uh, in, in order to get her powers back, Dr. Brenner and, and Sam Owens are, are trying to, to jog her memory as to what actually happened. And we get the revelation that there was somebody there. I don't know if they were an orderly, but somebody that worked at the lab who is trying to, it felt very much trying to sway uh, Eleven to the dark side. All the kids there are numbered, but the lowest number is number two. There's no more number one there um, for whatever reason. But this orderly uh, knows, seems to know a lot about number one and that he uh, accessed memories that made him angry and sad all at the same time to unleash his powers. And there's one point where Dr. Brenner says you'll be, you know, you'll be tempted to, to use your emotions and your, you know, anger or whatever to, to get your powers to work. But that never, that never truly works. And of course that kind of plays in later, but this, but this character, this, this orderly seems to be manipulating Eleven until we find out that this orderly is number one. We also find out that he is the son, Henry Creel. He's the son of Victor Creel, uh, who did not die. He faked his death, but ended up being put into this, this facility uh, because of his powers and how he became an orderly. I, I don't know uh, whether he just got too old and they, they, they did show that they implanted uh, some sort of device, this chip or whatever into his neck to kind of uh, stifle his powers or kind of, it was almost like a dampener. It, it kind of weakened him and made him so he couldn't use his powers. Maybe that's why they did it. And he was still a prisoner there. He very much was adamant about that. Now, this character is all revealed in flashbacks. So this character was around when Eleven was, was first brought into this facility as a, a younger child. We find in the flashbacks that he's going to help her escape. She's going to help him by taking this chip out of his neck. 
which she does, and, and we find out that he wants her to go with him and wreak havoc on the world because he's he's very much a, a misanthropic character, uh, hates humanity, and wants to punish humanity. Eleven will not go with him, and this causes him to go on this rampage throughout the facility. But not only do we find out that he hates humanity and wants to destroy humanity, but we also find out that he is number one and that he is the first child that they've brought into this this program at Hawkins lab and that he is probably on par with 11 as far as uh, having great power greater than any of the kids and he kills everyone in this facility so it wasn't 11 that that killed these kids uh, killed all these people she didn't have blood on her hands Although, in a way, she enabled it to happen. And then we see this showdown between a young Eleven and this Henry Creel, this number one. And she gets the better of him. But this is the moment where she opens up the rip into the upside down that they're doing all the experiments on in season one. And we also find out that Victor Creel, and this, this number one, goes into the upside down and is transformed into Vecna, which I kind of wondered at some points because there were some uh, powers that Vecna had that Vecna seemed to have that were very akin to what Eleven could do. There's a scene where he's in this headspace, this mind space, where he's traveling to different people, uh, essentially trying to find his next victim. It was very reminiscent of those scenes where uh, Eleven is in the sensory deprivation tank, and she's in this totally black room, and she can see you know, somebody over here that she's trying to connect to. It was very akin to that. So it made me wonder if uh, this Vecna character wasn't one of the kids from the Hawkins lab from when she was originally there. And yeah, it turned out that it was, you know, not exactly how, how I imagined it, but, uh, you know, I didn't have all the T's crossed or all the I's dotted, but, but I kind of figured that's, that's where it was going. And it, it did go there and it was uh, a really interesting story the way they told that all all pretty much in flashbacks and now 11 knows that she's not a monster she didn't kill all these innocent people but she also has the motivation because she took off the restraints from Vecna when he was number one when he was Henry Creel and allowed him to to kill all these people so she's got some skin in the game to getting revenge to putting an end to this character and we also find out that Vecna very much is a pawn of the mind flayer because everywhere that he kills somebody a rip into the upside down is created Nancy Steve Robin and Eddie find one at the bottom of this lake where one of Lucas's friends was was killed trying to chase Eddie and they swim down they go through and and they end up in the Upside Down and the the realm of Vecna. And they've introduced some new creatures in this. I mean, not Demogorgon or Vecna or Mind Flare level creatures, but these like bat-like creatures that are very, very sentient. I mean, they, can, they, they know what's going on because uh, once they're in, they get attacked. Uh, Steve especially has been attacked by these bat creatures. When they go to, to go back through the portal into the real world, uh, these bat creatures surround the portal so that they can't get through it and have to find another portal, which they find in Eddie's uncle's trailer. And of course, the uh, the other the other kids, Dustin, Lucas, and Max, they they figure it out as well and are waiting for them. So, uh, you know, that that was pretty interesting to find that uh, not only is Vecna killing people, but he's creating rifts in the fabric between the upside down and the real world these portals so his minions can come through so the mind flayer's grand plan of taking over the world is still in play and which like i said we didn't get to see the mind flayer we got a lot of references to it but you've got to imagine he's not gone he's somewhere uh, like I said, kind of licking his wounds. And I got to imagine uh, we'll see him maybe at the end of the season. Uh, we've still got two more episodes left. Uh, maybe at the beginning of next. I have to imagine we'll probably get a taste of him at the end of this season. And then we'll go back to him, you know, being 
the big bad behind the scenes in the final season, season five. And that's kind of where we're at with the end of part one of season four. Like I said, uh, July the 1st, we're going to get the final two episodes of season four in part two. So I'm really looking forward to that. That was uh, one of the cool things. Like I said, this season was really long as far as the amount of time they gave to each episode. You know, most episodes were well over an hour long. Many of them in like an hour and 20 minutes. The, the season finale was an hour and 40, hour and 50 minutes. So they gave a lot of time to this. And each episode really felt, felt like a movie in and of itself. Just the way things were filmed felt very cinematic. They did a lot of really cool transitions in between scenes, going from one scene to the next. They just got a little lot of really interesting things that felt elevated from what you would get with your normal uh, streaming series. So that was really cool that they kind of, you know, we're coming down to it. We've got this season, next season, and Stranger Things as we know it will be over. This story as we know it will be over. And they're really raising the bar on everything uh, not just the acting not just the actors not just the story not just the monsters but even how they present this this series is being elevated from the the look uh, they did a lot of great things with the sound design I mean they always do really good things with the sound design but it, this even felt uh, bigger there were a lot of a lot of great needle drops in this Kate Bush is going to get a huge uptick in plays on Spotify because this is Max's favorite song. Kate Bush running up that hill. Uh, it's her favorite song. It is what they use uh, as a way to pull her out of Vecna's grasp when he is about to kill Max. At the very last second, they, uh, they find out that you can use a person's attachment, like a favorite song of theirs, to pull them back or... It, give them a lifeline back into the reality. And uh, one, it's a great song, and, but they played the bejesus out of that. Like every time you turn around, they're playing Kate Bush running up that hill. Again, like that song. It's a good song. So that wasn't a bad thing, but but they had a lot. They played that a lot. There's a lot of the great, well-known 80s tunes, a lot of great obscure 80s tunes. So, you know, the, the needle drops on Stranger Things episodes are, are always fun. Uh, great callbacks to a, a, a glorious time uh, music-wise, whether it's heavy metal, whether it's pop, whether it's the beginnings of, of rap and hip-hop. Always love the soundtrack to a Stranger Things season. And of course, what's to come? You know, like I said, we've got two more episodes left. I gotta imagine if they're saving two episodes for a part two of season four, these are going to be supersized episodes. Uh, the season finale was... Uh, like I said, an hour 40, hour 50 minutes, something like that. These these episodes, I can imagine each one of them is going to be at least that long, if not longer. Uh, you know, we may get a couple two-hour episodes, which would be pretty badass. I mean, it, it would make it epic enough to say two episodes is a part two of the season. Uh, I can imagine we're going to have a lead up to a big showdown between Vecna and and 11 inside the upside down uh the these kids know how to get there uh they know where vecna is and i don't know if they know how to defeat him yet but i gotta imagine uh they'll probably deduce that at some point or another so i'm really excited to see where they go with this we've still got to get 11 back with the group we've still got to get uh will mike jonathan and argyle into Hawkins, they've had some some uh, sidetracking. I imagine they're going to meet up with Eleven because they have the coordinates to the Nevada base where Eleven is at right now. So I can imagine they'll meet up there and then hopefully get back and and Eleven can have that kind of gunslinger showdown with Vecna that they kind of teased in one of her memories, and I think we'll see a, a mirror image of that in present day. Uh, inside the upside down i'm imagining can't wait for it it's exciting stuff because this uh, one of the most imaginative shows to come down the pike in quite some time it really kind of kicked off the whole 80s nostalgia that we're seeing a lot of in tv and in movies and being uh you know born in the the mid 70s grew up through the 80s uh those were my formative years I, I love some good 80s nostalgia because it's 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 a, a reminder of, to me, a more fun time. And like I said, this season really doubled down on the horror. I mean, this has always had elements of horror 
in it. And that's one of the things I love about this show because it, it adds so many different genres. You get the horror. You get elements of science fiction. You get elements of fantasy in this. It's just so mixed well together. And it's something where the horror has always been there, but they really amped it up in this. Not just the references to 80s horror, but the horror in and of itself. I mean, the, the scenes where... Uh, Vecna is killing people are frightening. Uh, some of the scenes with Vecna as he is kind of connecting to the roots that kind of the tendrils uh, and all the things, this, this spider web of uh, living tissue that goes throughout the upside down. He connects to that and that's kind of how he can kind of reach into our world uh, psychically. Some of those images are, are, are eerie and disturbing. Some of the dream sequences were, were very much like a nightmare on Elm Street. Some of those uh, from the first movie and Dream Warriors, the third one, really had some creepy and intense and, and frightening dream sequences. And they kind of played into that. So you really got that aesthetic. You also had a lot of opera played in this. Uh, they played like tons of operatic pieces. And, and I don't know whether there was just something about it that it, it wasn't creepy, but it just added this bizarre tone to some of the scenes, especially the stuff they did in Russia uh, or they stand in for Russia because we have Joyce uh, Murray also makes it an appearance of this played by Brett Gelman, uh, another hilarious actor. But but they go on this rescue mission to break Hopper out of a Russian prison. There's a, they used a lot of operatic pieces in, in those scenes. Not to mention, like I said, all of the 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 '80s needle drops that they did. Uh, they just they they played a lot on tension. They played a lot, a ton on atmosphere. Uh, there were just so many creepy things. The Creel House played into that traditional haunted house feel that you get from from so many great '80s horror movies. It was just a, a fantastic first part to this season. These first seven episodes of season four of Stranger Things just really set the table for what I imagine is going to be a huge climax to this season, whether it's the, uh, you know, whether they'll do that in the penultimate episode or they do that in the season finale or, or both. I, I can't imagine just what we're going to get in this final two episodes is going to be epic in both length of episode and in weight of the stakes in what we see I, I don't know as if you know they teased a lot of you know they teased max dying they teased other characters maybe meeting an untimely end like steve i i don't know as if we get out of season four with this whole group intact which i think would be a, a great you know not that you want to see any of these actors killed off you know their characters killed off in this show but it would add a lot of weight and a lot of gravity to this impending war that they keep saying is coming between the mind flare and the upside down in the real world it would add a lot of stakes to that going into the final season so i would be interested to see if they're going to have the intestinal fortitude to to maybe kill off one of these characters I think it would be bold. I think it would be interesting. It would, like I said, it would it would give some real stakes to what's going on here. Not this arbitrary, generic, uh, we're just saving the world. You know, there's, there's some real stakes. One of their own has died, and they could too. And if we don't stop this, this evil, everyone's going to die. I, I, I think, you know, if they were to do something like that where they uh, they kill off a character and that would really add some, I know I use this term quite a bit, uh, a lot of people do, but some gravitas, some real weight to, to this story and the stakes involved. So I'm interested to see what they do. And luckily, we don't have to wait too terribly long. Both episodes will be out on July 1st with episodes 8 and 9 of Part 2, Season 4 of Stranger Things, how this season is going to end up. And, and a lot, I got to imagine, this is going to set the table for what's going to go down in Season 5, the final season of this iteration of Stranger Things. So really excited about that. And of course, as soon as we get those two episodes, I'll watch them and you'll find out all about my thoughts on the final two episodes and kind of the, the season as a whole and, and what we can look forward to in Season 5. Hopefully they won't wait another three or four 
years before they do season five. Jesus, these kids are going to be putting in for AARP memberships by the time they get to season five at the current pace. So hopefully they they got right on and maybe, uh, I don't know, I haven't heard anything about it. I would like to think that maybe uh, they're going to take a brief hiatus and then get back on season four or season five. It would have been nice if they could have done the Lord of the Rings thing and just filmed as much of the principal photography for season four and season five all at once. But I dare say they probably didn't do that. So I'm sure we'll find out in the not-too-distant future how long we're going to have to wait for Season 5 of Stranger Things. But until then, we've got two more episodes to go, and we'll talk about those after they debut on July the 1st. So that's my thoughts. I really enjoyed this season. Probably one of my favorite seasons to date after the first one. The first one was just so iconic. But this one really, like I said, dove into the horror and the horror references and the homages to classic horror that I love. So this, to me, has to be one of my favorites because it really, like I said, kind of doubled down on the horror aspect of this of this series. So thanks for listening. Please check out our Facebook page, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook, where you can keep up to date on all that's going on with Stranger Things. Uh, we're always posting uh, trailers to the latest uh, series and movies. We're always... Uh, sharing articles that we find from various sources all over the internet, kind of share them with you there so you can keep on top and give them my thoughts and, and two cents uh, when I can on what's going on in the world of horror, fantasy, and science fiction. And like I said, be listening because we're going to have uh, this episode. We were originally going to do a Halo episode on uh, today's episode, but you know, Stranger Things came out and I blew through them real quick. I'm like, you know what? I got to get this out quick. I got to get this out and talk about it now. So uh, we're doing Stranger Things today. Halo is going to be coming up on Thursday's episode. And then we're going to have a couple random curiosities uh, for this week because we've got a a couple things I've watched. I don't have too much to say on them, but they were really interesting and I've got something to say. So we're going to do some real short random curiosity episodes coming up this week as well. So be on the lookout for that. But no matter where you're listening to this podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, uh, Apple Podcast, uh, any of the other hundreds of different places you can listen to this podcast, please uh, share it, subscribe to it, uh, download it. Uh, share it with your friends, anyone you know who loves horror, fantasy, and sci-fi, and please leave a review. That helps so much in getting the word spread. Uh, It helps with the algorithms for these podcast platforms, especially like iTunes and Spotify. You know, the more five-star reviews we get, the more they're going to push our content and and make it more available and noticeable to to people listening. So please leave a five-star review. Any review you give us, though, will be greatly appreciated. And we thank you so much. So uh, until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.